Welcome to the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted to have you on the show. We met recently on LinkedIn. You were tagged in a post I did about parental alienation. And I was very taken by your profile and what you've done. It seems to be very purpose-focused. Um, so before we go into that, just give us an overview of kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, so first of all, thank you for having me. Um, what am I doing now? So now, actually on the way here, I was just thinking about purpose, to be honest. And I am trying to do everything I can to spend my days doing things that are purposeful, that I genuinely would do for free. Or if I won the lottery tomorrow, mm -hmm. I would still have my life now. And that's, what, that's the kind of life I want to have, is that if I had billions and millions of pounds in the bank, I would still wake up and do the things I do now. Because right. you know? I think that's, for me, it's just happiness. It's finding, finding um, a way to live for your career, with your family, your children, friends, mm. that you love, that fulfills you, that is purpose-led, that fills your soul. For me, that is success. So I'm chasing that yes. right now. Anyone who knows me knows that you pretty much say what I say verbatim there. So that's a really good thing. But it's taken me a long time to get to that stage. And I'm st I think purpose always evolves. You kind of like, it's hard to kind of say that's my purpose because things change and evolve. But also a lot of people will, will hear what you just said and go, what? So if you had 10 million quid now, you wouldn't be as happy as what? what, what how have you got to that kind of thought process? And, and why do you think money isn't that important to you? Do you know what it is? I think... I've always, I think I've always had a sense of wanting to do the things I love doing. That has changed over the years, definitely. Mm. But, you know, when I was younger, I loved playing football. And that's, I wanted to be a football player, as most young boys do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't good enough, obviously. Yeah. Um, but loved football. And then in my teenage years, I loved music. And even mm. throughout school or, or university, I was DJing playing yeah. the bass guitar, I was producing music and probably spending my, more of my time doing that. Yeah. So I've always tried to pursue things that make me happy Yeah. as much as I can. Sometimes right. that's been at the detriment of okay. <laughs> other things, but it's always been at, 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 you know, at my heart. So as I've grown and my experiences have changed, yeah. and now I'm in a place where the things I do, of course, they're not, I don't make music anymore. I don't play football competitively, mm. um, but I have conversations i do community events yeah i work with organizations i i write and i'm an author i write for publications do a bit of tv work so i'm doing stuff that i want to do and the message and the purpose underneath it mm. is completely aligned with i guess where i am in my life that's amazing yeah, at the moment i want to delve into your journey in, in a bit more detail but you've mentioned music and football and you've, you've got a platform called Music Football Fatherhood. Do you want to start with telling us about that and also all the associated stuff with that? Yeah, yeah. So started seven years ago in two months. <laughs> so in two months' time would be the seventh year anniversary right. of when I started. And it was very, sort of as a, as a blog, you know, me just writing about my thoughts, being a new dad, um, needing an outlet, needing somewhere to go to write that I felt like I had some sort of control and ownership over. Mm. So I started to write and I thought, okay, what do I like? I like music, I like football and, and I like fatherhood. So I just put them all, all those three things together yeah. and started a platform. And at the beginning, it was just literally me just showing my thoughts. And after a couple of years, we uh, got some really good media coverage. The, the BBC 
came to my house and did an interview with me and a few of the contributors that we had at the time. Mm-hmm. And they called us the Mumset for Dads. Right. Um, which was amazing. And that kind of was the domino effect for the platform getting bigger. And over the years, we've had to, as I've grown, and I think the contributors have grown and we've, we've, we've evolved, we've gone deeper in terms of what we do. So we're all about content and community. Essentially, it's around creating cool experiences for dads to have open conversations around fatherhood. Okay. Um, so we do that for our blog. We've got hundreds of articles from different dads, you know, talking about every issue under the sun. Yeah. Uh, we have our own podcast. And we have online events for dads, like Dad Circles, yeah. where we discuss different topics on a monthly basis. We've written a book called Dad, which has done very, very well. And there's a massive story about that we should get into. Yes. Um, and we're also doing, we're doing events as well. So by the time this comes out, we would have announced our new partnership with Arsenal Football Club. Right. Um, which is amazing. So we're going to be doing an event with them on the 27th of November at the Emirates. Yeah. And that is uh, called Extra Time. And it's about dads coming together and having a space to connect and talk about all the issues and, and, and joys so of fatherhood. Basically. Th- th- this is very fatherhood focused. And you mm. talk about purpose. I, I get the sense that either something's happened to you mm. related to fatherhood or there's a story you want to tell. Because I, I love the fact that you're, you're pro-fatherhood. Because I also think fathers get the rough end of the deal in some aspects in terms of parental alienation but why why so focused on on fatherhood so much what's what's going on do you know what i think i definitely am focused on fatherhood um also focused on just masculinity and being a man and also around mental health too but i think fatherhood definitely is at the root of my work um i think for me fatherhood has changed me massively to be honest more than i could have ever imagined you know my daughter's seven right she's turned seven a couple of weeks ago yeah and I would say this time seven years ago, we were probably still in hospital with her, I think, actually, because she was born with uh, quite a serious infection. So there's an infection called Group B Strep, GBS, and one in 10 babies will die from this infection, and one in 10 will have a lifelong severe disability wow. after contracting meningitis. Yeah. So we we got the news while my wife was pregnant, actually, that that my wife was, hot, was was carrying this um, strep B, which is quite in a common. A lot of mothers mm. will carry it during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And normally, if it's detected during pregnancy, they give the mum antibiotics during the birth. So yeah. we got that. We got the antibiotics. So the long birth and 24 hours later when my daughter was born, you know, she was, she was grey. She was like lifeless. Wow. There was no... There's no crying like you would expect from a newborn, you know? Right. Um, and they very quickly, after laying her on my wife's chest, picked her up to go to the corner of the room. Mm. So there were seven or eight doctors, you know, working on my daughter. They were resuscitating her. They had a straw. They were sucking fluid out of her airwaves. And on the other side of the room, my wife was bleeding out. And there's about seven or eight doctors trying to basically keep her alive and mm. I think for me when I when I think about that moment as a 31 year old man at the time mm. I think that was the first time since being a child that I can say I genuinely felt like helpless mm. and a complete sense of like this can't be my this can't be my life yeah, yeah. you know is it like is this happening like this must be yeah a tv program was this do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like sure. I was watching it from above. I didn't want to believe it as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, I had the choice. So I, I stayed there or go to, to intensive, intensive care for my daughter. So I went down to intensive care. I remember walking through the hospital, um, trying to call my mum, actually, but there was no reception, so I couldn't get through to my mum. Mm. Going through to the intensive care unit and then the nurse kind of looking me in the eyes and being like, Elliot, you need to kind of come back. Because clearly I was in shock. Mm. Clearly not what was going of course, on. Of course. She was like, you know, you need to come back. You're a dad now. And I think that was such a powerful conversation. What I realised is that as soon as your child comes out, like you're a dad, there's no tomorrow, there's no next week. It's like straight away you have responsibilities. Yeah. You have to look after this this new baby. Um, so so we went into this room. I went into this side room actually. So we're in the in the intensive care room with all the parents. So for the parents that have been in intensive care, neonatal intensive care, you know that every morning the parents gather in one room and then the nurses and doctors come and take each parent for a private cons- consultation. Yeah, sure. So I was in that room and, you know, I met parents whose babies were there for, you know, maybe they're premature or heart conditions or infections. But just me seeing them and just seeing how they were behaving and acting, mm. you know, they were so strong. They were focused on making sure their babies were getting the right treatment. And they obviously there was an emotional time, but they were really advocating for their children. And for me, that was like a real wake up of like, yeah, yeah. you know, right. <laughs> your wife's over there in, in mm. being seen to your daughter's in intensive care right now. But mm. I know this is an emotional time, but you have to focus. You have to make mm. sure that you're on top of things. And, you know, the doctors and nurses are amazing, but I need to make sure that I understand what's going on. Yes. And I'm there to answer any questions wow. or or to make some decisions. You know? So on that point, just to interject there, there's two things there. When the nurse said, you're a dad now, and that bit you described in the intensive care, for me, that feels like a real moment, a defining moment in your life in terms of being present, being on the planet. Because for me, you know, up until a certain age, I don't think I was even on the planet. I was just going through the motions. I was successful. I was, stuff was happening to me. And then when I lost my business, that kind of jolted me into reality. So can you just put a bit of context as to how that changed your life. I know the event itself changed your life, but mm. those two moments seem to be quite defining. I think it was. I think it was a kind of, you know, as you say, sometimes we can just exist. Mm. Um, and some days we can exist and it, it's fine, you know? And other times our challenges or our circumstances really require us to be very present. Yeah. And I think going back to what I was saying in terms of purpose, you know, like I do try now to have that presence every day if I can, you know, Mm. and Mm. engage with the world. And I think when she said to me, I can look, it was more, it was less what she said and more how she looked at me. (laughs) It was like she was looking into my soul. Into your soul, right. And she probably knew, I'm sure she's seen it before, right? I'm sure she knew that this guy needs this he needs to be present yeah because we've got his baby here Mm. and he's the dad and we need him to do do you feel it changed you as a person in terms of like how you operate as a man and a human being in terms of values and all that kind of stuff what what i'm trying to say is Mm -hmm. obviously it changed you on a surface level but the context of that i think it's almost Mm -hmm. like i went from a boy to a man not overnight but kind of i think sometimes things like this at the time they're awful and terrible but mm. they're also a gift yeah 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 i would say not just that moment i mean there was a series of moments over the next yeah, year yeah. i would say that have changed me fundamentally okay 
you know. So, um, yeah, after that experience, we were in the hospital for for 10 days. And lucky enough, Harlow Hospital um, gave me a room and us a room. So we got to stay in the hospital together, mm-hmm. which was a crash course in parenting. I'd never <laughs> changed a nappy before, but living in one room with your family for yeah. 10 days was was a crash course. And yeah, some days we'll get good news. You know, the infection has gone down and it was it was positive some days. Other days, the doctor would come and tell us the antibiotics aren't working. And it was really worrying. But I think all through that period, it was very much uh, going through the motions. You know, yeah. it was, this is going to be okay. Get through it. Take each mm. day as it comes, you know. Mm. So we got the news, I think on day 10, that the infection had gone down and they were happy that we could leave the hospital. Yeah. Later on that evening, for what was supposed to be our last evening, the doctors noticed that Eleni, our daughter, developed a bump just in the back of her head. Oh. Quite a big bump, just out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. And so we had specialists come in from a different hospital and they sat us down and, you know, we could tell they were very worried about what was going on. So tumor they didn't know what mm. it was they're thinking was wow. where's this come from yeah like it's abnormal i think with the infection they knew what it was they knew how to treat it with this they didn't know what it was mm. so we had to go for an mri scan the next morning and you know that night when i talk about you know moments that change you that night definitely did because we were in our room that same room yeah the three of us we were joined by a midwife called nagmare and we just cried and prayed about six seven hours all night wow basically sure sure before the mri scan and i think after being strong all that time it was this was a kind of i don't have any thing else to give now i don't have any strength i don't have any mm. guidance I have no words Out of your control almost i was we were so tired you know yeah we'd, we'd gone through all that thinking it's over and then this which is wow which is potentially yeah. worse than before you know yeah um but nagme the you know that's sometimes the nhs get a a rough time but mm. you know she was and the midwives and nurses was just amazing sure. you know she spent sure. all night with us and the next day i took my daughter for an mri scan i remember she was so small putting her in this big this big machine yeah. and going back to our, our room and just waiting for the results and it was weird because over the two weeks we'd always get a burst through the door so they the doctors would never knock they just burst through the door <laughs> It could be every four hours, basically. Really, right? Like around so the clock. You couldn't sleep or anything, anyway. But couldn't sleep. That doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. So just bursting through the door, and so we waited like in the room, and I remember waiting for that burst. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking, at any moment now, course, right. that burst is going to happen, and I don't know what they're going to say to me, but it's going to be, it's going to be big news, whatever the news is. Yeah. So we waited, and waited, and then we heard we heard the burst, and this nurse who we'd got to know quite well because you know we'd we'd been around them for so long, she came round with her arms open like this and oh. embraced us gave us a massive hug no. and yeah she said it was it was bone structure and you know we were free to go home so we sent another couple of days just to check right and went home but yeah that was definitely okay we've gone through that but I think that's where basically the rest of our lives really started mm. so we got home it was you know winter time was November dark and cold in the evenings um, mm. my wife was my wife was getting counselling for postnatal anxiety. We were super stressed about our daughter's birth. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't... We were at A&E. We went to A&E 
probably on a weekly basis. Just sure. looking back, it was probably for no, not for no reason, but any little thing, we were just back in A and E. Of course, right. Like we were just so paranoid. Yeah, well, understandable though. So we go back to A and E. Um, my wife was struggling to like, you know, get ready to leave the house and stuff like that. So most yeah. days she was she was in, and I went from being, you know, very extroverted, confident to like crying on the way home from work to being in work meetings and not even be able to say my name to feeling like I'm having out of body experiences yeah. in work meetings, yeah. you know, feeling like I'm not myself, not even be able to talk or communicate, being knackered, yeah. not being able to sleep, like running through the events in mm. my mind over and over and over again, like mm. just thinking, stressing, trying to process, trying to understand, accept, Plus just being a new dad, you know, we'd been through pretty the most traumatic event of our lives and then literally so you used a to few days and shock or whatever. You, you must be have some sort of uh, after effect. I mean, it's, how would you describe that? What, what, it, what is your going through? Is it, it's like, almost like PTSD almost, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I was eventually diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah. Eventually. Right. Yeah. Okay. Kind of by accident. Really. So post-traumatic stress disorder because yeah. obviously because of what happened, the trauma yeah. of that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I thought PTSD was something that happened to, like, war veterans. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> to be honest, I thought it was that. But then I've, I've done some research on it. But, to, to, I mean, that is a big thing. Yeah. That's a big thing, right? And it, PTSD, you, could, you know, you could walk... God forbid it doesn't happen, but you could walk across the road and see someone get run over, for example. You know? Um, yes, yes. Or you could, see someone, you could see someone jump in front of a train or... You know, whatever it is that's a traumatic event, if your yeah. brain doesn't have the the help to process and understand yeah. that then it can lead to yeah ptsd so what, what where would you diagnose and what have you done to alleviate that so i was diagnosed by accident and this is i think was kind of is kind of like why i work so hard now to have conversations sure and facilitate conversations sure. in different ways yes so through that period like you know me not sleeping me feeling anxious um you know, shutting away from friends, not speaking about what's going on mm. to my parents. Like, luckily, me and my wife have an open relationship, so I could share some of some of it with my wife. Not everything, but I was sharing some of the stuff. But you know, I would cry on the way home from work, and I wouldn't tell anyone I'm on the train, just like not wanting to get up and just yeah, of course, thinking of what is happening to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in in a in yeah, and that's what, I guess why I started music football fatherhood because I can just write. So it was like a space where I could just write. I wasn't writing about hmm. the depths of what was going on, but I could just write. It was just something that I felt like I had for did, myself. Did you, you use the emotion and the trauma to actually do something creative, right? Yeah. Right. Now, you've mentioned masculinity. I want to delve into that. But the way that you've articulated that, the way you've talked about that, it's reasonably unusual for a man to sit here with another man mm. and openly talk about that kind of stuff. I think you'd have been the majority of men in this world, if that happens to them, they'll be like, yeah, it happened. They're kind of like they're conditioned or indoctrinated not to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So have you always been like this? Or, and what's your view on that in general in terms of men opening up, men crying, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I haven't always been like this. Right. <laughs> this, is a new, this is a new thing. I say new maybe in the last like four years. Right. I would say. Okay. I think it's just being a dad, you know. Like, it it just, for me, it's made me so much more vulnerable. Mm. You know, someone explained fatherhood as, like, having a little piece of your heart 
just running around. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. that you can't really control. That's just out here yeah, at yeah, school. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I think it, that has, and my my actual experience has taught me so much. I think about the importance of sharing, sharing, having relationships and people that you can yes just be honest with, and that doesn't necessarily. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here every day with my friends talking about like our challenges. That's not. No, of I, course. I right, enjoy right, right. football banter as much as anyone else yeah. or whatever. But I think it's also important when it comes to like friendships and relationships. Yeah. To be able to have that in there and be able to have that conversation and understand that it's not judgmental. It's just it's just human. I I agree with you. I think there's a big stigma and a big misconception. But just because men don't physically give birth to their children doesn't mean they don't feel exactly the same pain or you know to a level of pain that that the mother does, mm. and the, and the emotional connection. And I I personally feel that more women and more mothers need to understand that whether you're a mother or a father, it's still your child, and you still have the same level of emotional connection. What do you think mm-hmm. to that? Definitely. You know, I think. Um I think when it comes to like nurturing and and balancing childcare, I mean, first of all, we know that for some dads, biologically, becoming a dad will change them. You know, so some dads will have a drop in testosterone mm-hmm. when their baby is born, right? And that's nature's <laughs> amazing way of helping us to right. bond. Yes, you know, I didn't know that. Yeah, that that drop in testosterone, that hormone change, can actually be part of a trigger when it comes to low mood and postnatal depression. Ah, okay, interesting. So, you know, one in 10 dads would experience some symptoms of postnatal depression mm-hmm. in the first six months of their baby's mm-hmm. uh, life. And I think this idea that that men don't feel in parenting or whatever it is, is it's nonsense. You know, those feelings for me are more taught behavior. Yeah, you know, when we're babies, when we're children, we f- we feel, this, you know, we f- we both feel right. We have we both cry, we have ups and downs. Yeah, we're both emotional. I think for a lot of us, in terms of men, we have been conditioned not to feel. Yeah, and if we do feel, not to express it. Sure, but I think that that is very damaging. Like we look at the suicide rates, and we know three out of four suicides are men. Mm. For me, I don't think that's because we have like more challenges than women have. Mm. I think it's because we are not as good at seeking help and support and talking about the challenges that we have early enough. And in my, for me, like, you know, when I was diagnosed with PTSD and all that sort of stuff, I count myself quite lucky because during that period, like I had a stable job. Yeah. I had a good relationship. Mm. I wasn't worried about finances, you know, but I can imagine if that was going on for me and then I lost my job or my relationship was breaking down or I got physically unwell, you know, yeah. Things compound. Yes. And if we aren't able to find a space, whether that's friendship, professional help, someone at work, we don't have that space to just get it off and feel that you know that experience of being able to share what's going on mm. and someone saying to you i'm here it's going to be okay or actually getting this professional support yeah when those issues compound it can get very dangerous very very quickly 
What's your view on equality? My view is probably controversial. I mean, I, I do a lot for women. I do a lot for men in the work mm-hmm. that I do. And I know you do a lot for, for both sexes as well. I think in the round, generally, it's fairly equal. There's 100% um, reasons and situations where women have lesser opportunities than men. But also, there's situations where that's reversed. I want to get your view on that, your honest view. Yeah, so... So I don't necessarily look at it as... Like, I don't try and compare, you know. Mm. Um, I'm not not necessarily counting the inequalities. Like, I look at it as... As you said, women will suffer a lot. You know, men will suffer a lot. Just in different ways. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think the patriarchy and the patriarchal system of men, you know... Mm. feeling like they have to be the breadwinner for example yeah yeah like that's actually detrimental to to everyone yes. <laughs> you know that's detrimental to women obviously because yeah that puts men uh in positions of power and on blah blah and where we might have thought oh that's good for men that's actually not very good you know mm. that idea that that like, i was into a podcast yesterday actually and um they were saying oh like the man should be the provider the men men are there to provide mm that's my idea of what a man is and of course some guys will think yeah that's that's what i i that's what i am here for i think the problem is is that if you are a man and you feel like you should be providing and you can't provide what 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 are you left with you're very depressed and you haven't got a purpose and that that's why i think the suicide rates are so high because if you haven't got a purpose and you're not you're no longer i think women no matter what they say the majority of the women base their judgments on whether a man's suitable for them on their looks and all that kind of stuff but also their status their job and you know what they're doing and, and if you haven't got that platform you've got a difficult life ahead of you as a man I think mm. it is I think for, for men if you're yeah if you're not good looking if you're not buff if you haven't got <laughs> um, status and money yeah it can be tough in romantic relationships just in life in general and being taken seriously it's true you know and that is that's crazy because not all of us are going to be super good looking or physically fit yeah. or not everyone can earn loads of money. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's just not how the world works. So yeah. to, to, I think to, to hold men to those standards mm-hmm. is the patriarchal system yeah. that I think we have to dismantle. And I think for me, that means when it comes to childcare, for example, um, embracing dads being carers, embracing yeah. dads working flexibly, you know, I do a yeah. lot of work in the work, in organisations around encouraging flexible working, encouraging yeah. um, better paternity leave policies, yes. allowing cultures where dads can leave early because they're going oh, wow. to do the school Talk run. Talk to us and about that's the work, that some of the other work you're doing, because you, you've, you've done lots, you, you've, you've won awards for um, dad employment stuff, haven't you? Yeah, so I won an award by the UN, UN Women UK, um, the Heath She Award, and that's around um, gender equality in the workplace. So I, I'm the co-founder of the Working Dads Employer Awards. So it's Music Football Fatherhood with the University of Birmingham and now the University of York. And the Working Dads Employer Awards were launched in May this year with amazing partners like the, the CBI and um, Working Families, Pregnant and Screwed, who had the march on Saturday, mm. all our partners. And that is about celebrating the employers that are supporting dads. Right. So some employers are giving dads six months off paid a new dad for example i've seen that amazing right yeah like john lewis and vodafone Mm. they're um encouraging dads to work flexibly they're doing all those things and 
we want to champion those organizations because the government isn't doing it. <laughs> you know, we, yeah, get, yeah. we get two weeks statutory paternity leave here in the UK. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So the government aren't doing it. Some organizations are doing it. So we're trying to encourage them and spread the good practice and encourage more to do that. Yeah. It's having an impact, you know. Um, celebrating and encouraging organizations that are, that are doing good work is, is so important to do because we know mm. that influences others. Mm. So yes, yeah, so I'm the co-founder of, of that organization. And I spend a lot of time working with companies through, you know, doing keynotes, workshops, prog- longer term programs. Right. About how do we engage the men in that organization? How do we focus on some of those men's issues around mental health, around body image, around work-life balance, mm. um, around fatherhood, and essentially bring those men into the conversation around diversity, yes. inequity, and equality for the purpose of themselves yes. and how they can work past, um, you know, this this uh, idea of what a man is and just be themselves and, yeah. and and be who they want to be in the workplace. Yeah. But also for the betterment of women, we know if we support men, we know that they are, that we have, you know, in some aspects, a lot of power and privilege. If we in- engage them, mm. we can support women better as well. Mm. I think the gender, gender equality conversation is really important to, to understand that gender equality is good for everyone. It's good for yes. men and for yes. women and for men. The uh, World Health Organization did a piece of research last year and they found that countries that have better gender equality have better outcomes for men when it comes to they're less likely to be depressed, they're less likely to suffer from cardiovascular diseases, Mm. they have a longer life expectancy, they are less likely to be the victims of physical abuse, they're more likely to have protected sex, Right. you know, so we can do things better you know we don't have to live how we are living right now and yeah. feel like we have to maintain this yeah. idea of what it means to be a man i did the same thing when i was suffering i did it i've been there you, you mentioned privilege there um and i want to talk about privilege and racism as well um what privileges do you think men have and what rights do you think men have that women don't and what's your view on how racism has changed in the last decade or so Okay, so two big questions. <laughs> <laughs> two at once. I'll take them take them separately. So I think um, privilege that men have, I think we have lots of privilege, you know. Um, one thing that happened last winter that um, I'm sure a lot of us can relate to, but my wife was... So I was walking home. I was walking home and where we live, there's a field. And I was walking home from the train station to my house, mm-hmm. which is maybe a 15-minute walk. And yeah, I would take my headphones off, um, but I I wasn't necessarily scared. Like, but you know, I'm aware of what's around me. Of course, right. I'm not scared. I walk home. The next day, my wife does the same walk, um, and she calls me to come and pick her up from the train station. So I did, and when I got home, she was just saying that same walk that I do, like as a field, she f- feels like there's a road. Yeah, you know, she feels like she's in in danger, mm-hmm. and I guess for me it was just a, a very small example, but a very a very real life thing of like I can walk home in the dark and not feel that sense sure. of fear. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can exist in the world mainly and not feel like I'm under threat mm. or under attack. You know, uh, is that because of the 
the structure of your body and you're a stronger man, you, you're able to defend yourself or you, and you're less also less likely to be attacked because you're a man. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. So I think I'm less likely to be attacked by it just randomly. Don't get me wrong, men do yeah, are course. actually more likely to be victims of physical abuse, but a lot of that is getting into an argument yeah, or, right. you know, Got you. We, we, we had an altercation with someone. Less likely just be walking down the street and someone attack us. Yeah. So, so that, but also, you know, I'm quite tall, black guy mm. i can be quite loud like you know yeah it's very unlikely i'm not saying it's never gonna happen sure <laughs> but it's unlikely someone's gonna be like this you know. yeah whereas for women that danger is very real mm-hmm. so i think there is just that that fundamental privilege of being able to exist and walk around in the world and not feel the same yeah. level of fear so a lot of people don't understand that but when you put it like that that's the whole reason why i ask because people think oh but actually there are instances like that where it's not our fault, but we do have privilege in that regard. We've got, we've got to admit yeah. that. It's yeah, a yeah. fact. 100%. And privilege is not necessarily what you do have. It's the absence of what you don't have. Yes. Absolutely. You know, it's the absence of the, the additional pressure, the additional fear. Mm. And I think that, that word privilege, it can kind of get people's backs up because people yeah. feel like, yeah. but I've worked hard. Yeah. But my wife, my life isn't. Easy. Sorry for being a man. You know, it's like they get defensive, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's not that's not what privilege is about. <laughs> you know, like privilege is about the absence of yeah, rather yeah. than what you do have. Yeah. You know. Okay. Um, and onto the question about racism. How has racism changed? Like, so I spent three years as a head of race equality um, in Defra, so in the civil service, the Department for Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs. And uh, I think for me that was. That was a real, real tough job. I learned, I'm so glad I did the job and I learned so much through it. Mm. But it was a really challenging, really challenging job. Really challenging. Um, it consisted of, a big part of it was facilitating conversations about race and racism. A lot of the time to white people um, all over the country in Bristol and different parts of the UK. Wow, okay. And that was a real learning experience for me because it was going into a room with maybe 10, 20, 50 people, maybe knowing one or two of them beforehand, generally not knowing anyone, Mm -hmm. and having to facilitate a conversation in a room for two and a half hours and end that session trying to educate, challenge, support, and get to the point where people have learned something and are ultimately going to reflect or do something differently, Mm. feel like they were challenged, but also feel like that was a, good experience that they engage with Mm. and I think I learned a lot about privilege and uh, systemic racism and how that manifests in individuals for the audience who don't know what's systemic racism so that's more about the institutions that we have you know it's less about my your feelings my feelings about any particular person it's more about how racism runs through the institutions that we have whether mm. that is police sure. you know legal institutions or that kind of stuff yeah the the processes the policies the values mm. um that disadvantage do you, do you feel that racism has got less or better in terms of the awareness now over the last 10 years in terms of the various different black lives matter and all that kind of stuff but the, the, you know I, I mental health and all this guy i do think the wheels are turning but I'm, i might be completely wrong and i apologize apologize if i am i know it's still there and still right it always has mm. been but i do get the sense that through knowledge the internet and information people are becoming a bit more aware of actually what it is as well 
Yeah, I would say awareness is definitely like, yeah, since George Floyd was murdered, like <laughs> the conversations have changed massively from then. When I was doing Project Race in DEFRA, that was 2018, 1718. Mm. Um, but awareness until... is different to action, though, right? Yeah, and it's, it's a hard one. You know, I'm so conflicted because, of course, racism still exists and. And we haven't, arguably, we haven't actually, you know, made any progress, I don't mm. think, since 2020 and the yeah. summer of the black squares and stuff like that. So I think we can, we can point to some things, you know, like there is more representation in some parts. Right. There is some positive action. There, There is activity going on, of course. Mm. But I think we're still hearing instances every day about racism we still have a massive poverty gap we still have a government that is taking resources away from the areas that need it we so still you have... think there's a lot of virtual signaling a lot of noise but not a lot of change and what would you do differently so what would i do differently what if i was in what position well prime minister or or, or if you had the power if you had a magic wand i mean i, th- I think you're right i, th- I think we can all talk a good game. It's mm-hmm. a bit like, you know, when there's the World Mental Health Day and the companies change their, um, their icon on LinkedIn for the day and think it's job done. It's just, mm-hmm. with mental health, as you know, it's an ongoing thing. And we're not going to solve racism or, or gender inequality overnight, but I, I sense that you think that more can be done. I want to get your thoughts on that. 100%. I mean, okay, so if I was in the government and the Prime Minister, I think for me there is looking at that, at that Equality Act and making sure that when an incident of racism happens, there is actually accountability for that. Mm-hmm. So we saw Chris Cabba being shot, the black guy that got shot in South yeah. London. Yeah, yeah. And the police officer that did that, like, what's happening there? Mm. You know, probably what has always happened mm. is there's no accountability. There's Absolutely. no, There's no actual... Um, repercussions for going and killing a black man in in the street of London, right? So right. there needs to be accountability for for actions. Mm. I think there needs to be an investment back into communities. You know, I was doing a lot of youth work in 20, 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. And just before the London riots happened, what happened the year before that when the coalition government came in is they cut a lot of the funding for, you know, disadvantaged areas. Yeah, yeah. And so there were a lot of young people and kids who were engaging in these activities whether it was music or whatever and that was something that was so important to them because they're living in a lower class area maybe they've got a single parent household they don't have things at home or infrastructures around they can do stuff so they're they're out and go into the youth club and that that is what is keeping them you know yeah yeah. so that was all cut funding was cut um austerity etc that just means that those people now have just more challenges than they had before and less support. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? Exactly. So I think there needs to be money invested like into communities mm-hmm. to help families. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that is at the at the root of, of a lot of the inequalities that we see. I haven't talked to you about your journey, but I mean, some of the stuff that you've done has been so interesting just to delve into the stuff already, but mm-hmm. let's talk about um, kind of your journey from school to now, if you, if you may, and how you've kind of evolved into this purpose-led leader, I'd say. 
Yeah, so my school life was was pretty cool. Um, grew up near Wembley and went to school in Acton. Loved football. Um, went to a great school. I say great school, a good school <laughs> that had a, a really good mix of people. And I think that was, I didn't really appreciate it at the time. But in terms of race, in terms of like class, everything, there was everything in my school, <laughs> pretty much twice of the school. It was great. So I think I learned a lot about the world um through going to that school maybe didn't realize at the time but growing up definitely looked back and i think that was a good thing for me yeah and then went to university in Roehampton, spent three years just having a great time if i'm completely honest <laughs> partying <Good. laughs> djing having a lot of fun that yeah. was great through years scraped through uni literally just scraped through yeah and um then then i left worked in a bank for a couple of years and then set up my own business called Make Up and Music where I was working with young people um, teaching them music production mm-hmm. and while I was doing that I was I was playing the bass guitar I met my wife we formed a band together cool and we were touring touring and making music and you know having a great wow. time um, until we became parents where obviously you know our lives are still good <laughs> I'll say that like it went downhill from there <laughs> but you know life changes yeah, um, yeah of course but yeah, no, my early years were good. I think my parents, you know, they're still together, they're still married and they have been a real kind of a powerhouse for me, I guess. And my dad was very strict mm-hmm. when I was younger, very, very strict about education. Mm-hmm. Now you'd never think it, because now he's the most chilled out, relaxed person you've ever seen in your life. But um, right. he was very, very strict and held me and my sister to very high standards. And I think that was something that I thank him for so much. Mm. Um, my parents are also very good at savings they never earned a lot of money but they were very good at saving so growing up me and my sister didn't have like all the fancy trainers and stuff until we were a bit older yeah um but we had what we needed but they were using their money well yeah you know and i just think about that i think wow they did so well you know coming here from grenada and st vincent in the 60s um, my dad literally starting from scratch he told me about he's a sharer share the front room with his brother you mm-hmm. know um to go to that from from where they are now is absolutely amazing yeah and yeah they're big big role models for me i think massive role models and i think growing up there's certain things that i didn't do in terms of getting in trouble because mm. of my parents and i think if i didn't have that strong foundation at home i definitely wouldn't be like who i am now no way i get the no word way. gratitude with you i think they taught you gratitude they did, yeah. How much you thought? How important do you think that is? I think gratitude is so important, you know, because we live in like a world where we compare ourselves. We can compare ourselves mm. so much, and I'm guilty of it. Mm. You know, going on Instagram yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is, <laughs> and it's such a shame, right? Because we could actually be having a good time and yeah, yeah. and having a good life, but then seeing someone else that's doing some something and yeah. feeling like yeah. like comparing ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had to really work through that, actually. And gratitude is one of the main things. Mm. And just being thankful for what you've you got have. You've got um, your cross on, on, on your necklace there. And you mm. mentioned when you was in intensive care, you prayed and stuff. Are, are you religious or spiritual? Mm. And what do you think the difference is? Yes, I'm religious. I'm not... So I have an interesting relationship with religion. I go to church. It's a Christian church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I could go to any place of worship, to be honest. Like, I'm I'm not... In terms of denomination, I'm not, I'm not set to any denomination. Well, that's interesting. I believe in God. Mm-hmm. 
um, and I believe in a personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And the church that we go to, Wellspring Church, which is around the corner from my house, it's a place where we as a family can have that time with other people to connect with God. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I believe that we're here for a reason. I think we will be judged but forgiven. Um, and I'm just trying to live a life where I can do myself proud, do my family proud and do God proud, mm. I think. And I think the older I've got and the experiences I've gone through have have pushed or pulled me more towards that. I, I think whether it's religion or spirituality, I, I, I don't think I'm particularly religious, but mm. I do think I, or I know I am spiritual and I believe in a higher power. I believe in the, mm. the universe stuff. And I think every time I tap into that and I pray and I, and I connect and uh, I do my gratitude, it, what I find the biggest thing with religion or, or spirituality, it does remove the ego. Mm-hmm. Once you start removing the ego and you mm. realize that actually it's not about you, life isn't just about you, it's about serving other people. I think the world mm. changes. It doesn't yeah. anyway. What do you think? Definitely. Definitely. And we live in such an ego-based world, don't we? <laughs> it's big as everywhere. Every, everyone's got an ego, let's be honest. But we it's do. Just, it's on a, on a scale, I think. <laughs> yeah, and it's not about you know pretending that we don't have an ego. Yeah. Like I think a bit of ego is important. Yes, yes, absolutely. And channeled in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, to be financially successful... Um, whether that's through investments, career, or sports, or whatever it is, yeah, like a bit of ego needs to come in with that. Of course, you know, it has to. Like You've you look like at that tunnel vision, that kind of like, I am the person that's going to get it done. I don't think that's 100%. ego. That's that self actualization, self confidence. I think there's a difference. Mm. But yeah, you're right. I think actually a little bit of ego is a okay. little bit. Yeah, being like I, I deserve this. I think that's that's the thing that I've been working through, is the deserving things. Right. You know, and that kind of do I, like it. I, am I okay to say yes to this? The, the imposter syndrome kind of thing. Mm. Like I grew up in a very humble, my parents are very humble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not the norm to be on camera. Like that's not what I was brought up to. Yeah. <laughs> like my parents were like, where did this come from? Like no, right, that's right. not how I was conditioned. You know, it was yeah. drama school. It was, that wasn't the life. It wasn't mm. being out there. But I think in doing my work, it's created the opportunities to be out there and to further the message yes and for me it's been a, a thing of like embracing that and being like actually yeah like when the documentary came about for example yeah so, so the book came out and last year and um two weeks after the book came out i was walking through watford shopping and uh got a call no a message sorry on instagram from zach and zach was like oh i'm from the BBC can I have your phone number so I gave him my number he called me straight away and he was like yeah I'm from the BBC I'm a documentary maker we want to tell the story of like your life and your work wow and I'm thinking like this is a joke right like <laughs> what, a call to, what a call to receive yeah. exactly I'm like you want a what like this yeah. has got to be a, I was like nah it's got to be a joke can you send me the email and let me just see the BBC address <laughs> yeah yeah so he sent me the email I was like okay cool <laughs> maybe this is for real and it took a while to get commissioned and we started filming around around this time last year but even going through that process and like being on the TV on BBC One primetime and, and yeah. telling my story and my work and whatnot, that was a real kind of like, wait a minute, there's how many millions of people in the world? Mm. Like, why me? Like, right. why? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That feels weird. But I think mm. it's accepting that we all have a story. Mm. 
you know, why not? Why not? Shay, so you didn't let it go to your head then? Because I, I built a multi, multi million pound business and kind of, I kind of did let it go to my head a little bit and I okay. lost it all. And that was the best thing that could happen to me was actually losing it because mm. then my ego was gone. Mm. I had to look in with, I had to be honest with myself. And that's when things started to change. I realized that on one hand, I was a bit of a, a gift and a genius and clever and skillful and use my expertise to build that business. On the other hand, mm. I have to take accountability as to why that didn't then materialize into the outcome I wanted. I can blame mm. other people, but we're all accountable. And I think um, sometimes adversity can be the best thing that can happen mm. to you. But it sounds like you're a very level-headed kind of person. I mean, that's a big ticket. It's a big gig to, 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 to get that on the BBC. But you, yeah. you kind of maintained your measure, right? Yeah, I think, do you know what it is? Once you've like just gone through wins and losses in life. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I, there was a football manager the other day, David Moyes, I think, right. <laughs> one of those, and he was saying, like, things are as never as good as you yeah. think they are when they're great. That's true. Um, but when they're bad, they're never as bad as you think they are, you know? And I think, yeah, like, just with experience, winning some things, losing some things, totally. ups and downs, you just realise that, like, yeah, life is just, like, this up and down thing, right? And the the best we can do is just try and stay on top <laughs> you know 100%. like 100 I've, I've read this Carl young thing where he akined it to a an american football field right you've got mm. end zones on either end one end zone is when you're down you're depressed you're at, you know your lowest depth the other end zone is when you're flying really high mm. and actually you don't really want to be in either either end zone you want to be kind of between 30 and 70 yeah. and just kind of maintain that so yeah. when it's going really well you can bet your bottom dollar something bad's going to come around the corner mm. it's not that you want this to happen also the other way as well and it's kind of like when you're doing really well, enjoy that moment. I'm not saying don't enjoy it. Yeah. But this too shall pass. When yeah. you're down there, this too shall pass. And exactly. it's kind of that mentality. 100%. Like I was talking to people, like say for example, in TV. And they end up living for like the next TV thing or the next big yes, thing. Yes, yes. Rather than actually living for like oh, the purpose of what they're doing. 100%. So for me, for example, like don't get me wrong. The TV stuff is all nice. Going on loose women and all that stuff. It's nice, right? Like yeah. cool, I've done it. It's good. But actually, this partnership we're doing with Arsenal Football Club, yeah, like that's the fulfillment. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, like we're going to the Emirates. We've done QPR before. We've done Brentford. Now we're going to Arsenal. Nice. We're bringing like 60, 70 guys to the Emirates. We're having conversations, guest speakers, discussions. We get deep. That's you know impactful. I mean? You're adding value. You're doing something significant. You're leaving a legacy, right? Yeah, that stuff. You can't produce that. No. It's not a TV show you can produce. Mm. It's not directed. You can't buy it. Like mm. creating those spaces, me and the team, like Michelle and, and Matt and whatnot, yeah. and Kala, like don't, creating those spaces in a place of such significance, like a football stadium. And like, it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that is what keeps me excited and keeps me grounded because yeah, these things will come along and it's like, oh, it's great, blah, blah. But actually, if my day to day is creating those really cool experiences mm. for dads and men, yeah, that there's no there's no lower there's no low point in that. I, that I, is I just think there's amazing. a significant portion of the population in the world that are going through the motions, mm -hmm. living day to day, going to work, earning the money, spending the money, going to work, and there is no purpose. Mm. And I can see it. And I used to be that person. I had a, I built a business, ten million, twenty million, thirty. Mm. Got there. Every time I got there, it was like I, it was never enough. Mm. And um, it's taken me a while to kind of understand that and also a while to kind of build a presence on LinkedIn and other platforms about that. And, I, and I just, I'm just humbled and grateful to, 
to understand the importance of, of purpose. But mm. what, so I'm what, not, what was your business? What was the business? It was a recruitment business. Okay. What I'm not saying is money is not important. I, th- I think you can have purpose and the, the nice things as well, right? And yeah. I think if you do things in the right way, the okay. money comes anyway. 100%. Like, it's so funny because sometimes I talk to people who like want to have, like want to make money or want to be on platforms and whatnot. Yeah. And I think there's two ways you can go about it. You can go like the route of, of kind of, talking about it and positioning yourself to be there which can work or you can just do the work yes and if you do the work yes then things happen anyway like the documentary didn't happen because i went to the bbc and said i want to do a documentary no the documentary happened because i was doing yeah the work okay. like these things happen because you do the work and i think mm, i agree one thing i would say is to, to everyone is like if you believe in something you've got passion about passion about something like just do the work, set mm. up that thing, create those spaces, do whatever it is that you want to do, like just do it. It might start very, very small. You might not have much money, but you can make an impact in your local community. Mm. Just keep going. It might take years. Like I've been doing music for fatherhood now for seven years. Like yeah. it's taken ages to get to the point where we can do the stuff we're doing now and I can have the conversations I'm having now. But I mean, if you truly believe in something that's that in your heart and you keep going, you never know. You never know, like what, what what will happen in the world. It's been fascinating so far. We're coming towards the end, and there's a few more questions. But um, I'm trying to think what else you've done. I mean, you've done you've done lo- loads of work with DNI. Talk to me about you've done the documentary. You've also mm. you're also a, a, a top voice on LinkedIn. You've done some others. Talk to us about some of those highlights that you've done recently. Cause that's all, it's all great stuff. Yeah, so um, the LinkedIn top voice was, was nice, and um, working with the LinkedIn team. Shout out to Priscilla, uh, <laughs> who kind of yeah, is just my my contact there on LinkedIn. I'm on the creators program, and that's really yeah. cool. I love LinkedIn as a platform amazing, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm feeling like um, like I don't really like social media, but I love LinkedIn because I think it's a place where it's about the purpose is about you know what we want to do and what we're changing our thoughts yeah less about hey i'm here it's more about like what do i think about mm. this it is issue actually, in the they world. talk about things like thought leadership but i do believe that it's a, it's a great platform to actually influence people in in the yes. right way right? yeah yeah and there's amazing people on there so i love linkedin yeah um so yeah that happened obviously we've got our book dad talk to us about that. um so dad that is a very interesting story so i think the the story behind the book is probably just as important as the book itself. So the book is a collection of 20 stories, different dads talking about all types of experiences. So, um, you know, Jamie writes about stillbirth. Wow. Um, Andy writes about his partner having three miscarriages. Um, Aaron talks about being in a mixed race relationship and, and raising a mixed race child and how they navigate that. Um, Matt talks about putting, so Mark talks about postnatal depression. Mm. There's all you know, gay fatherhood, black fatherhood, like it's all in there. Mm. Amazing stories, and the book's done so well. It's been an Amazon bestseller. It um, has been all over the media. It's been used to drive government policy. It's um, in a lot of NHS care units for for new parents. Like it's done amazingly well. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of it, and so proud of the dads. Mm. Um, the story behind the book is very interesting because in 2019, I remember I was at. I had a job. I was working at my desk at the moment at the time and mm. had the idea for the book. Um, managed to get an agent very easily, which is amazing. We pitched the publishers and all the publishers said, oh, we love the concept of the book. We love mm. the idea of the book. But Elliot, you're not famous enough. Really? Um, so 
there's you know there's no space for these stories from ordinary dads like it needs wow. someone famous it needs famous how, people to how, be writing how derogatory <laughs> yeah so I was like yeah so my agent at the time was like okay well you need to get more famous and I was like what does that mean like walk down the street naked or <laughs> like what do you what do you mean like no, do it. <laughs> exactly I was like what are you talking about yeah. so anyway left that agent met another one and yeah. um went to publishers again and they said the same thing they're like we love we love the concept mm. we love the writing but no one's gonna buy it it's ordinary men there's no audience for this yeah so I was like they're wrong I know I'm doing this work on a day-to-day basis I know so we launched a crowdfunder a few months later within uh 12 days we'd raised 12,000 pounds and that was just from the dads just putting yeah. out you know amazing no machine we raised 12,000 pounds in in 12 days and so then the work started to kind of self-publish the book. I met Saskia and Stacy at work. They were twins who used to be in the publishing industry. And they told me how to get a hardback copy book into Waterstones and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, W.H. Mm-hmm. Smith. So we engaged all the official, all official people, the typesetters, editors, all professionally done um, and published it on the 1st of June. As I said, it became an Amazon bestseller straight away. It's, it's you know... Brilliant. It's been the trigger for the documentary, for everything else. And I just look at the publishers now and I'm like, look, we we told yeah. you, man. Like, it's your loss. There's a space for ordinary yeah. men yeah, and dads yeah, to yeah. tell their stories. Fair play to you. I think, you know? I think the concept of it is, is, is incredible. I should have bought one. Yeah, so, I'll, I'll, I'll get one off Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And I'll spread the word as well because it's that kind of thing. When we talk about racism and privilege and whatever, it's this kind of thing that actually shifts the dial, doesn't it? Mm. Not just, it's not just a book. It's, it, it's encouraging men to speak. It's... There's a lot of a wider connotation around um, around that. But yeah. um, you keep talking about, or you mentioned twice, what a man should be. Mm. What, what do you think a man should be? That's a big question, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big question. So I think, I think, do you know what it is? I think it's about being yourself, mm-hmm. to be honest. Like mm-hmm. there's no way of anyone should be. I think it's about being yourself. Yeah, man. And that is harder to do than it sounds. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. That's like truly being yourself. Yeah. That's diff- I think that's probably the best yeah. but most difficult thing. I think that's right. We, all wear, we, can we, all, we all wear masks, don't we? We wear masks, man. You know. And a lot of those masks aren't by choice or so they're not... No. They're not no. that we've designed the mask no. all the time. They're masks that we have learned to put on 100% we're indoctrinated or parent, parented or taught to be a certain type of person, aren't we, you know? Exactly. So I think be yourself. And I think if if, if more of us are, are ourselves, we'll probably, mm. you know, be be more more open about stuff. We'll probably yeah, yeah. be more community focused. Um, we'll probably allow ourselves to, to feel the emotions. We'll probably yeah. want to do and take on more childcare responsibilities. We want to probably maybe mm. not kill ourselves working so hard you know mm. like i think that if, if we're truly ourselves those things will will happen naturally but yeah the journey of being yourself that takes work you know that takes um sometimes a big life experience trauma maybe it takes therapy um courage, courage um probably a supportive partner vulnerability vulnerability great friendships you know it's, it's hard but i think for everyone going on that journey i think is the best thing you can do because Mm. you find your purpose through that i think that a lot of men will look at this podcast and think it's just two weak men chatting about 
stuff for exposure, but I know your intention and the power and the strength and the courage it takes and the vulnerability it takes. And it's only a podcast in the day, but to, for a man, men to do this, mm -hmm. I think it's 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 you talk about masculinity a little bit. What's your definition of masculinity? So I'm really interested in masculinity, actually. Um, I think that the, there's toxic masculinity, and psychology today, they uh, the, the the publication they did a kind of piece on on the behaviours underneath toxic masculinity. Mm. And they came out with things that I've kind of touched on before around only showing anger. Yeah, so masculinity. So I'm really interested. I do a lot of work um, around the idea of masculinity. And I think it informs a lot of underpinning the, the fatherhood themes and the mental health. I think masculinity is at the core. Mm. And again, going back to that question, you know, what what is a, uh, what should a man be? And I said, be, be yourself, right? And I think... The psychology today definition of toxic masculinity is a set of rules that determines how to act, behave and feel. Yeah. And those rules are around being a breadwinner, are around only feeling emotions of anger and bravery, um, not asking for help mm. when you need it, whether mm. that's physical pain. You know, we don't go to the doctor. <laughs> as much as we should no, no, right no, we no. ignore pains and yeah. um we don't call the mental health professional services mm. when they're available i think only when it comes to nhs talking therapies referrals only one third are men um that competitive edge and that need to win right yeah. so these are things that kind of define what psychology today found as toxic right. masculinity okay i think positive masculinity is the opposite to that you know it's about community Mm. It is about saying, do you know what? I know what I know. And there's no shame in asking for help. Sure. Like, I'm quite a competitive person. I'm a DIY person myself. Yeah. Like, I'm still working through that in terms of, like, asking for help certain times, you know, and saying, pick up the phone to my friend or parents and be like, I need some advice and help. Like, that has been, for me, something that has taken me a while to mm. to, to get to. Mm -hmm. Um you know, allowing ourselves to feel those emotions. Like life yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. up and down. Like there's going to be, I've had some amazing moments. Like I met Prince William last December, I gave him a book. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I had a chat with him. Like, I've had The Rock share my work on Twitter. Like yeah. some amazing things where you're high. Amazing. Right? Yeah, like yeah. just crazy stuff where you're like, I'm high right now. Yeah. But then the lows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's about in those low moments, yeah. are you going to allow yourself to feel the 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 sadness and the overwhelm mm. one thing that happened to me that i think was very very life-defining was um i was 18 left school went to uni and there were some guys that i went to school with things happened but eventually i got rubbed at gunpoint wow and it wasn't the actual action of being robbed at gunpoint that was the traumatic distressing thing mm. all that that was yeah, yeah it was more there was loads of people from my school there there were loads of people that i'd grown up with right watching sure so i after that went through a whole a real process of like wait a minute i am so embarrassed do you know what i mean i feel like everyone is against me wow so you you deemed what people thought as the biggest thing as opposed to actual being 
you know, losing your life potentially by being held at gunpoint. Yeah. It was more this, oh my gosh, like what, like who am I that this happened and everyone's, uh, I don't know if they were laughing, but everyone's there, everyone's observing, everyone's right. making an idea Interesting of, how you come to that conclusion, I mean, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, going back to that masculinity point, after that, like I was, like my cousin, he, my cousin Jordan, picked me up and we went back to the same park the next day and like, like he helped me so much. Right. I think he understands. Wow, okay. But I owe him a lot. Like he helped me so much in that in that period. Hmm. And when I look back at that, I was eighteen. The the trauma, definitely the therapy, didn't obviously get therapy. But working through that in terms of do I allow myself to feel the emotions? Do I in this moment seek help and support? Do I go and call professional help? Because I probably do need it right now. Hmm. Like I just wasn't ready in that mm. moment to do those things. Mm. And I think for us as men, it's about understanding that life has, whether, whether we want to or not, life is going to have ups and downs. It's for all of us, right? Yeah, we're, always, we're all going to experience loss. We're all yeah, going to experience yeah. some yeah, yeah. trauma. This is the human experience. It's in those moments, understanding that like, it's okay to be sad about this. It's okay to get therapy about this. It's okay to talk to your friends about this. So it's okay to cry and... It is masculine to do those things as well. It's exactly. not not it's not feminine. Yeah. It's, it's it's not anything. It's just an emotion and a feeling. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. That's yeah. the difference, I think. Yeah. But I think men think it's 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 not masculine to do that, and that's mm. the that's the issue I've got with that. Yeah, but we need to, we need to, because when when shit happens, <laughs> like we need we need yeah. that support around 100%. us. There's a great new book called um, Boys Don't Cry. Right. So it's not called Boys Don't Cry. Called Billy No Mates. <laughs> right, okay. I don't know where I got that from. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, yeah. amazing new book is about friendships. Right, right. And this guy Max can't remember his surname, but he talks about um, going to get get married and realizing he had no one to ask to be his best man. And he did some loads of research about male friendships and found that mm. a lot of men, especially over like 30, 40, they don't actually have no any close friends Not, what, yeah they have mates or acquaintances and banter down the pub but close friends they, they can close talk friends. to confide and have a meaningful conversation with not for any not many men have that exactly we need that we need that we need friends man and I've really invested in my friendships recently yeah yeah you know like like yeah mate let's meet up like yeah <laughs> what are you doing on Saturday <laughs> yeah, yeah like let's actually plan this we're all busy yeah. let's plan yeah. this yeah. two months in advance let's hang out and let's hang out let's and just it. like just go and chill yeah, like we went yeah. to a brunch the other day it was actually in Chelsea's football club like down in their oh, bar nice. downstairs right, right. it was great yeah. me and my two friends that were both best men at my wedding that I haven't seen for ages because cool. we were busy yeah. and COVID parent. but meeting up and be like do you know what like this this is what we need this I feel so happy right yeah. now like yeah. we need to just invest in our friendships and when we do see our friends like obviously banter's cool and whatnot, but mm. catch up with them as well mm. like you know have like this conversation we're having yeah. Obviously, this is on a podcast or whatnot, but have these conversations with your friends, you know? Just normalise it, man. What an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm, we could talk for ages. This has been one of my favourite podcasts in terms of just being open, just being raw, and just having a man-to-man chat about shit. Oh, man. cheers, man. So thank you that. for coming on. Before, we, before you go, um, just a couple more questions, really. What has been your worst, or your worst call or bad call you've made in your life, and what's been your proudest moment as well? Ah, oh, the worst call. a hard question man 
maybe you don't have any regrets, but we've all, we've all made mistakes, right? Yeah, I would say... I think growing up, like, teenager to, to like, mid-twenties, maybe... Like, I went for a period where I don't think I cared enough about much like other people myself mm. people's feelings my feelings and maybe that's part of just like growing up and i can't say i regret it because we will have to go through a process yeah but i do wish some of the decisions i'd made then i thought maybe about consequence a little bit more sure and i cared a little bit more mm -hmm. and like now i try to be very purposeful about the decisions I make and, and and what I do, yeah, and yeah, I kind of wish I'd 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 done that. Fair play. And yeah. what about your proudest moment? But quite a few. <laughs> quite a few, yeah. I think. Do you know what? I think sometimes just like when I'm on holiday with my family, you know, right? We go to Ibiza every year, apart from when we're in lockdown, <laughs> and just being out there, with my daughter and my wife, and just being happy. Mm. You know, us being happy as a family and loving each other and liking right. each other See, that, <laughs> to do things. That is, that is such a good answer because it's not one thing that's happened in time. It's being in it's it's it's, it's being in that present moment and realizing this is all I need. It's not that's 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 so cool. Yeah, there's those moments like you know I was, I was chatting to my sister the other day, uh, just having a glass of wine, red wine at, at my house, and I was just like, this, the kids were there. I was like, yeah, this, this is, is it, man. man. This like, is life. This is it. Like the kids are just playing. They're in the other room, keeping themselves entertained. Yeah, we're sitting over a glass of red wine. The heating's on. It's warm. There's yeah. some music. I was like, this, this is cool. Like, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, this is this is it. I don't, I don't really care about what else is happening right now. And it's just finding. Yeah. Like I know it sounds super cheesy, but finding like the joy in just the simple moments of just mm. like connecting with someone like i am massive now and just trying to connect with people especially since covid as well yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm trying my best to like meet up with people get yeah. out of the house and just connect and just you know it's just yeah amazing so what's one thing you like to leave the audience with before we go one thing you like to leave the audience with before you go um i think yeah what we've spoken about is just being yourself going through that journey of being yourself and i never want to say that i'm perfect that's not <laughs> what it's about <laughs> at all um we're all kind of working through our own stuff but doing the work to just be as much of yourself as you can like i really started wearing my earring about six months ago all right yeah because i got my ears pierced when i was like 18 or 17 <laughs> so did I, yeah, yeah. and then you grow older and, yeah. and you kind of like <laughs> i don't know you just stop expressing yourself yeah and then now i'm trying to express myself cool a little bit more love it you know and just being yourself and not just being yourself about. man yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. it's beautiful Absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Where can people find you? So LinkedIn, yeah, <laughs> where yeah. we found each other. Yeah, yeah. So Elliot Ray on LinkedIn. ElliotRay.com is my website. And there's links to Music Football Fatherhood, the awards, all the stuff, book, everything is on is on my website. It's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Elliot. Cool. Thank you. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. 
I chose to partner with Vincero because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system. A single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm, contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincero. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincero.io forward slash Chris O'Connell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.